Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by our host and star of this show, Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer, the Hall of Famer. This is Coaching Kernan, episode 421 on our network. Uh, before we bring Kevin on uh, to get our show going, so I'll let our audience know uh, we'll be without Will George, who's on the road this week, and Sal Marinello, who is on the road as well. So just Kevin and I, we've got a lot of content for you. With our audience, 64,000 subscribers, I want to thank you for su- your support. We are now up for the Sports Podcast Group Award for Best Baseball Podcast. Got our paperwork in yesterday, so congratulations to you on that, Kevin. And then we also got a second nomination for another podcast award. I didn't even know there were podcast awards yeah. called, called the Webbies, I believe it's called. I have to contact them today. So two podcast awards in uh, in less than two years. So we're we're making a mark out there. And I want to thank our new newest partner, Jaw Bats. Uh, if you go to their website and put RVG in, you'll get percentage off. I believe it's 20% off at checkout, uh, capital R, capital V, capital G. Great maple bats. Uh, Tanner's using one, same model, lefty and righty M110. And you saw our very own Jeff Fry use one in his first fan, uh, fantasy camp base hit. I think he got a double with his jaw bat. So he's, he's pumped up about that. Um, today's a, this first episode of a triple header Wednesday. We've got, of course, AMBS followed by the Hall of Famer Jim Cott, followed by Red Sox great Nomar Garcia-Perez. So big, big day today for Real Voices of the Game. And with that, I think you heard the, the Led Zeppelin song, The Song Will Stay the Same. Sounds like we we, uh, we got to keep banging the drum there with baseball because we see the same goofy stuff out there all the time. But thanks to you, who has a great influence out there in the sports world, people are listening. I, I do believe baseball will fix itself, but it's not going to fix itself without people like yourself and hopefully our podcast network pushing the envelope a little bit. So welcome back to your show, Kevin. Great to be with you, Dave. And uh, it's great to have Sal uh, taking a break so we don't have to, you know, correct him or have him eating food while we're talking. Um, All the things that we love Sal for, you know, he's just the best and the man with the greatest calves in the world. Oh yeah. Will, Will, you know, Will's, uh, Will's on the scout road this week. So He'll have more stories for us, and uh, you know, uh, love being with those guys. But it's also a nice break to get away from. Them. Yeah, they're uh, they're doing business there. Will Will's out on the road with the Rockies, and yeah, Sal's calves. Uh, I don't know how <laughs> how it is. We got two two heterosexual men talking about Sal's calves, but they are good. They are good calves. I'll tell yeah, you. I appreciate a good uh, a yeah. good workout and a good uh, result, and uh, known Sal forever, and uh, he. Uh, and the other thing about Sal, one other quick point, and then we'll get get to the show. But uh, his training methods are just totally unique. I mean, he's not like one of these. He's he's not a muscle head, you know. He he, he keeps you limber, loose, and uh, if if more athletes would follow that process, and I think you made a good point on in the intro that we are starting to see some inroads on things, and um, you know, play, players like Stanton, who basically became Herman Munster. Uh, are trying to get more flexible. Can they do it at this age? I don't know. Um, I've talked about my conversations through the years with Aaron Judge, telling him exactly that. He listened and he 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 decided to go in that route. They're already strong enough. You know, it's not a bodybuilding contest. Uh, we start to see that. And the other thing I want to mention before we really get heavy into, you know, my articles and stuff like that, the responses too I'm getting from baseball people are just incredible. I mean, uh, Real baseball people, and, that, and that's what pumps me up. We can win an award. That would be nice. But I know people that are in the game listen and read me and because uh, I'm telling the truth, and we're, we're telling the truth. We're truth tellers here, and people are uncomfortable hearing the truth sometimes. 
But I'm, I'm also seeing this, Dave, and, and you're involved in a number of sports, and, and I hope it starts to go in, in other sports as well. I mentioned it a few weeks ago that there was a little bit too much analytics uh, now in football, and you're seeing some of the mistakes these teams are making with the decisions they make um, because it's it's nerds infiltrating, and everything is always best scenario with the nerds and what they're saying. You know, They, they don't take any X factor into account, what a guy's feeling that day. Um, maybe the weather, all kinds of things we can talk about. But one thing I am seeing that's encouraging, I'm starting to see real men take leadership roles again in sports. And Dan Campbell, MCDC at the Lions yeah. is a perfect example of that. I think you're, you're starting to see some, uh, you know, uh, the, the coach, the, the coach of the Texans, you know, uh, um, these guys are leaders of men. They're pushing a, a, a strong uh, foundation agenda of the sport, but they're also no nonsense. They're taking manhood back in the leadership roles, and that's important. And I think other teams will start to copy this because we went through the stage of a super nerd coach, manager, whatever, and we're, and, and, and we're seeing it now in football. We saw it in baseball. Uh, you know, Campbell has brought the Lions back from who knows where, uh, you know, going to bite your kneecaps off. I mean, who talks like that? And all, I know I want to mention, too, I'm not going to go by name because I hate to promote these people. But so many woke writers. Oh, my God. How did Tan Campbell get this job? Listen to this guy. This is a Neanderthal, ma'am. Uh, you know, we, we need to hire more DEI. You know, uh, can't, why is this guy getting a job? Well, well, he showed you why he's getting a job. He's a leader of men. And what happened in baseball? Bruce Bochy, another leader of men who 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 coaches via his gut and his brain, uh, led led you know led the Rangers to a championship. So it is starting to turn a little bit. And then at the same time, you're getting the teams that are just continuing to go in a south direction. I don't know what they're doing. Red Sox. I wrote about them a few weeks ago. I mean, you know, uh, it's they changed the guys in the front office, but it's still the same. And the, and the Yankees are doing some good things. I mentioned the Pat Rossler hire. That was really good to get yeah. him back as a hitting coach. But they're also still doing some wacky little things. So I, I don't know where they're at, but I do have a feeling that Judge has a lot more input now. And I know from talking to people close to him that he knows what's up and batting average matters. And we see that in the uh, Hall of Fame. That was just you know the results from yesterday. Yeah, and judges being vocal, I've seen him out there quite a bit talking about batting average, um, and I'm, it just makes sense. This is a star-driven league, in in pretty much every regard, and they've got as quality an individual, and, and you can speak volumes about him personally since you you've had background with him and the family. That that's a that's a pretty good guy to hang your hat on, and he only has the best intentions in mind with the Yankees, and they haven't won a pennant in so long. Um, you know why not try it his way? They can always go back to screwing it up their way. Yeah, and, and the amazing thing is that they didn't see this until it was forced down their throat. I mean, he should have been signed long-term years ago. And, uh, you know, we had a conversation, I remember, years ago about it. I said, I, my little joke every year was, hey, Judgey, when I'd see him in sort of spring training, did the Yankees offer you a uh, long-term contract yet? And he would just start laughing. Go, come on, Kevin, it's the Yankees. You know, so so they had to be – they had to have – Basically, you know, the Giants step in, other teams step in, the Padres before, oh, yeah, we better sign him long term. Could you imagine where the Yankees would be without Judge? I mean, that leadership, the captain, the, the fans love him. And that's another important thing. 
let's not forget the fans. We're all about the fans here. And fans love certain players, and teams need to uh, understand that. These are not robots. It's not AI, you know. And, and uh, you know, that's why I want to uh, get right to the uh, Hall of Fame, you know. And, and please read my column this morning at ballnine.com, you know. I'll just read the lead paragraph, um, you know. Uh, here's what I wrote. I said, when you're welcome to Cooperstown as a Hall of Famer, a party you lives forever in bronze. Never forget that. This is not just an election by the Baseball Writers Association of America. This is a bronze baseball coronation. It is. It's a coronation. Only 1% of the players who ever made it to the major leagues make it to Cooperstown and the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. Now, the third paragraph, I, I want to read this, too, because I describe it. you got to go there, too, people, especially if young kids go there. Enter the arch entryway of the plaque gallery, and there are the marble columns, oak walls, and beautiful bronze plaques. Three new members were elected by the BBWA on Tuesday night to the Hall of Fame. Third baseman Adrian Beltre, catcher Joe Mauer, and first baseman Todd Helton. They will get their bronze plaques on July 21st at the induction ceremony. The announcement was made by MLB Network by my friend, Hall of Fame President Josh Roberts. And then I go into in the players getting a call. Why I'm happy. Uh, that I, I voted for all three, by the way. So I, you know, I didn't leave any of these guys out. I read somewhere today, somebody was, you know, some of these guys take themselves so seriously. They're like, oh, I hope my vote didn't keep so-and-so out of the Hall of Fame. Just be quiet and vote, okay? Just move on. And whatever you vote, I don't care. Like I said, voting is part of America. Or it, it, you know, it should be forever, hopefully. And, um, you know, uh, and, and you're right. Whatever you vote, it's your right to vote. So, And stop whining to me about what I did wrong in my votes when I know my votes were good. You know, yeah. and, 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 you, uh, and and the other thing I, I, I love to talk about is when I love and this is why I always go along with players. Well, because you know what? We talk baseball. We talk baseball. And I was so happy to hear last night when Helton um, on MLB Network, you know, and again, he's a good dude. I know some friends that are very close to him and, um, you know, he knows how to have a good time and he's a good person and lovely family. Uh, that was the other thing. All three of these guys, Beltre, they all had their families with them. Mauer uh, talked about his dad and his grandfather who had passed, what they meant to him. So it's a family affair. And Helton told the story uh, about, and this is a story I heard many times, uh, Tony Gwynn. Uh, Tony Gwynn gave, because Tony used to love young hitters. Whenever we go to different cities, Tony would, he could see talent. Would, would have been a great GM, good scout, especially for hitters. Um, and I, one other point quick on Tony, you know, he, he never really, San Diego State never really blossomed the way it should have been with Tony. But that's because he always shot high and he, he was so good at finding talent that the guys he found, People knew they were going to be good, and they would draft them usually before they would even get to San Diego State. <laughs> so, so it was kind of like a, a win-lose situation for him. But he told Helton early on in his career, he sat Helton down in the dugout, Coors Field, and he gave him one tip uh, that I, I use forever, and it really helped the kids uh, and, and people I talked to because I heard it directly from Tony. But he said, and this is very important for our young listeners here and also our coaches. We have a lot of coaches. Uh, so when you step in the box, you get, you want to stay loose. You don't, don't want to tense up. So, and it's very, I'm talking about your eyes now too. You can't tense your eyes. That sounds kind of silly, but I was always a good hitter. My eyes were relaxed. There was like a, a meditation approach to it almost. And, and here's what Tony would do and what he taught young hitters to do. And it helped them a lot. Um, first thing you do, he said, you know, you get set, you get balanced, 
It's all about balance. But he says, with your eyes, you look at the logo, the logo on the pitcher's cap. You know, everybody has a logo on their cap, so it's real simple. You train your eyes to look at the logo. You kind of relax them because you don't want to be too tense. And then as the pitcher goes into his windup, lefty or righty, doesn't matter, you just slide over to his release point with your eyes. And that's how you would phrase it. Slide over with your eyes. And then you make believe there's a picture frame right around the release point. So now, and we've heard that before from other people, but Tony added a little touch to it by starting at the logo, slide over. So now you have relaxed eyes. And he says you just follow the ball out of that picture frame. And that's what he that's what he did, and that's what he told Helton. And Helton said it was the best piece of advice he ever got in his life. You know, yeah. and this this guy was a major leaguer at this point. So nobody taught him this, you know, and uh and and that's what I so I would always talk to players about their, their approach and, and and it would and it would uh you know that would get me in the door with them and then you build a relationship. But you being as a coach for a long time, what do you think of that advice? Yeah, I was fortunate. Uh I, I heard that early on, I think because my first the first book I ever got on hitting was at Ted Williams Science of Hitting. Sure. He talks about a lot of that in there, the importance of not blurring the eyes. And that point by Gwyn makes a ton of sense because if you stare at something too long and you're too tense, as you mentioned, your eyes start to blur naturally. And uh, yeah, it keeps the eyes eyes mobile. mobile. And following it out of the hand, um, I love that approach because, you know, especially at the major league level, even young kids, you know, there's always that one kid in the league that's the dominant pitcher. Sure. If you can, if you can take the person out of it and say, instead of, instead of hitting out of, off of Roger Clemens today, all I'm doing is hitting out of that window, that picture window. You can take a little bit of the stress and tension. But yeah, hitting is such a you got to be the, the phrase, the guy that he used to let me use a cage in his backyard all the time. One of my neighbors, he built a cage for, for, uh, I think it was for me, honestly, he's a great guy, uh, Mike Studo and my dad and I used to go over and he just sit back there and enjoyed being around it. He used to use the phrase loosey goosey and he used to make yeah. me giggle all the time because be loosey goosey. And I, I, that phrase alone, you know, he wanted me to be loose, but the phrase alone would make me giggle and smile and it would, you know, keep me loose. It would make but, you loosey. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, hitting so tough mentally. I mean, th- th- we talk about the, the one for three, you know, you fail, you know, the old, the old adage, you fail seven out of 10 times, you get to make it to the hall of fame, but so much pressure is put on those seven failures that people often take it to the other 90% of the game, unfortunately. So yeah, great advice by Helton. I, I think, and, and, uh, and shared, shared with you and passed out to this podcast. I, I think it's tremendous advice. Yeah, and, that, and that's where this column, again, other people write about the Hall of Fame and then they'll throw, and I, I made a point in this column, I'm not throwing numbers at you, too many numbers, you know, it's not math class. They're all writing the same article, though. It's like- They're all uh, the same like, article. Yeah. You can just punch in the same thing. and and But this is a very unique Hall of Fame article because I talk about my personal experiences with these guys, also what made these guys great. And even if you're loosey-goosey, go back to that for a second, because i and again, I, I'm 15. Still, I'm still giggling at that. Yeah, it's it's, it's a great time. And I've heard it growing up too. And uh, even if you're loosey goosey with your body, if you think about it, if you if you lock your eyes too early, it's a real problem. So that's yeah. what made that advice so special for Helton. Because and Helton, great athlete, uh, quarterback Tennessee, obviously friends with Peyton Manning, um, and and in his conversation last night uh, on TV, he had the Tennessee. Uh, helmet behind him, you know, so that, I kind of like that. He had his daughters there, both athletes, you could tell. Um, I, I, at lacrosse, I think one of the girls played, and um, 
that's the other point I want to make. Joe Maurer, quarterback, high, incredible high school quarterback, could have went yeah. to Florida State, incredible shooting guard, could have played a bunch of colleges in basketball, loved baseball, went to catcher, spent 10 years there, was was dominant as position. Unfortunately, he had the concussions. I think once you get concussions a number of times in any sport, I think it screws you up a little bit. Uh, obviously, it screws you up physically, but I think it also just screws you up mechanically. Um, you don't react as quickly. So he, his final years weren't as great. Um, but uh, the, the thing is, and we say it all the time in the show, play different sports. Please play different sports. And these guys are living proof of that. Now, Beltre was 24-7 baseball, different situation growing up in Dominican. But even the way he played third and the way he hit, you could see the athlete in there. So. Yeah. I bet you he played other sports. I don't know the details of it specifically. I thought I heard soccer, um, futsal, futsal. I heard. Yeah, that that makes sense. And and we say it all the time, and you see, and all over and over again, don't lock into one sport. And um, I don't know where that's going. Is that getting worse or better? Um, it's 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 a it's a paradox because it's getting better in the sense that kids are playing more sports, but instead of what we mean, where you know, you play football for a portion of the year, then basketball and baseball, they're piling them all on top of each other. Oh, so, so you're playing a couple, a couple different sports at the same time. Yeah. So instead of breaking your training up throughout the year, like Sal promotes and getting different activities to, right, to make right. you more athletic as a young kid, we talked about the elite athlete, quote unquote, yesterday, they're playing now they're, they're over training with all the sports. So they're going to hitting lessons, pitching lessons, uh, then football practice with quarterback practice and agility practice. So instead of being a kid at 12 years old, they're training for 10 hours more, you know, like a pro athlete would do it. So it's, it's, it's had that adverse effect. So some people are doing it. Others are still specializing, but very few are doing it the way we're talking about it. I think where you're just, you're, you're taking your time, you're enjoying the season, you're practicing and training for that sport alone. And then you move on to the next one. Um, and, you know, I still believe, and I think you do as well, where you can't tell how good a kid's going to be until they hit a certain age. So they pass puberty. You know, I made a joke yesterday to somebody. I said, how do you know this was a 15-year-old? Mm-hmm. How do you know how good he's going to be yet? He, you know, finished puberty just a year ago. He hasn't even discovered girls yet, hasn't had his first <laughs> beer. Doesn't exactly. know. Like little things that kind of make a difference in growing up. It sounds silly, but those that have grown up understand the importance of that. And, um, you don't know. It's popcorn in the pan. Sometimes these kids pop, sometimes they don't, and you never know what's going to derail them. And that the, the 1% of professional players making it to the Hall of Fame um, should be an eye-opening thing for all these parents. 1% of major leaguers, not just major leaguers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So I see good and bad. I see people doing multiple sports, but they're misdirected in how they're doing it. I think they're, they're, they've added more insult to injury, uh, pardon the pun, with their kids, and they're just now overtraining their kids even more. But very few kids are breaking it up uh, to to two to three sports because they fear missing out. Plain and simple. Yeah, um, FOMO. Yep. And the uh, and that and and the other thing is those guys had fun. All these Hall of Famers. I, I make this point clear in the column. They had fun playing a game, and people appreciate that. Fans appreciate that. Fans remember that. Beltray fooling around, you know, not noogies with the other guys and things like that, and. Uh, touching his head and, uh, um, you know, Marrard, you know, just being the local kid playing for his hometown team meant, meant so much. And, 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 and Helton, you know, just, you know, you see Todd Helton, you just say athlete, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and, player. 
Yeah, and 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 he's a leader. Now, I don't want to hear any more, too. Here's the other point I want to make. I'm to, so tired of hearing, well, he played for Colorado. He played at 5,270 feet, whatever it is. Shut up, all right? Because you know what? Players go where they go, and, and they have no control over that where they're drafted. And you know what I say to, to, to Todd Helton? Congrats for staying with the, uh, you know, 17 years with the Rockies. Good for yeah. you. It's kind of like Quinn, you know, staying with the Padres all the years. Joe Mauer, good for you. You stay with the Twins all the time, you know. Belcher, you had to move on to get a a chance, but, you know, you you did a great job at the Rangers and things. So, and uh, so, so I think it's a, it's a feather in their cap when they play a whole career somewhere. And, and here's the other thing people don't understand. And this is, you know, it's hard to explain to them because they just don't get it. And I saw a great, thing the other day it was, it was like a 300 pound guy sitting on the couch watching an nfl game and and, and he's looking up and you know he's all he's he's rolled onto the couch no other way to say it and 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 and, and a little little quote from him a air bubble quote or whatever is i can't believe he missed that tackle you know <laughs> this, this guy couldn't you know couldn't couldn't get close to making a tackle but everybody's an expert Here's the thing about playing in Colorado that people don't understand. Yes, the ball does travel. You get the advantage of that. The big problem Colorado made is they made the outfield way too big. Um, and so you not only do you have the balls traveling further, but the outfielders have to play so deep that you can drop a lot of hits in. So it's the best of both balls as a hitter. But here's the negative. You go from Colorado, then you go on a road trip, and it's a whole different style of hitting. That's why sometimes hitters struggle when they play for the Rockies, they don't hit as well on the road because all of a sudden that, 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 that breaking ball has got a lot more bite to it, you know, on the road. So yeah. you're used to a certain break by, by playing up there, you get used to that. And then all of a sudden it changes. So you got to make great adjustments. So I actually think, you know, you have to have a certain mindset and ability and, and, and Helton's numbers, you know, he hit well over 300 at home, but, he did okay on the road, you know. I forget it off the top of my head, two eighties or something like that. And um, so I don't want to hear that, you know. These so much, so many people worry so much about the Hall of Fame. Just enjoy it. Go to the Hall of Fame. Look at everything. Watch a film. Uh, they had the scouts film the other day, which I wrote about a few weeks ago. Here's what I say to everybody: everybody wailing and gnashing your teeth over the Hall of Fame. You know what? Start worrying about your country as much as you worry about the Hall of Fame. Look what's going on in the country. Uh, you know, some of the things that are crazy, uh, you know, with with the southern border, the fentanyl crisis. I mean, you know, we're seeing people die left and right now from from things like that. And, uh, and, and other, you know, heart attacks, the amount of heart attacks we're seeing out of nowhere suddenly. Um, there's a lot going on there. Start worrying about your real life, not your baseball fake life. Okay. And, uh, and 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 let's get things right there. So that's my little that's my little soapbox of the day. And uh, if it pisses people off, too bad. Yeah, I, I laugh at some. Well, there's no barrier for entry on social media, so anybody that can sign up for an email gets a, a say now. Where years ago, um, and I li- kind of liked that that way as well. There was a barrier between being a an expert on things. Everybody's and what we see today. Yeah. So we had to re- we. As a society, we relied on the the professionals, the experts, people like yourself, were real experts who actually did their yeah, job. Who know not experts who, who who actually claim disinformation when they're actually disinforming. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, they, yeah. they see, they see 14 other websites, but I laugh too. I, I, I always, uh, anytime I see a knucklehead make a, 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 a comment consistent with that nickname underneath one of your articles or, or something you're putting out there, I just kind of, I hold that pause. I won't refresh cause I want to see the, the comeback to it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't always come back, but sometimes yeah. I do. And, uh, like somebody was complaining today about, and you know, and, and again, I, it's everybody gets a, a mulligan from me. You can, like I say, it's your opinion. It's fine. But if I see a trend, if I see a trend that you're always a pain in the ass, I'll make, I'll call you out, you know, I'll call you out. And, uh, and, and today I, I wrote back to somebody on, on social media, they were whining about all this stuff. And I said, you know what? You complain a lot. You know what? So, 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 you know, the next step is see you, you know, from there. Um, uh, I got plenty of social media friends. I don't need you. All right. You know, that's, that's the way it goes. And, and, and that's, see, the players always respected that. And, and now that, that brings us to my next point I want to make. Um, Gary Sheffield. Yeah. What a joke that he's not in the Hall of Fame. An absolute joke. And again, I don't tell people how to vote, but the writers blew that one badly. And I threw one stat in there today that, uh, let me find it here. Um, this, this is kind of amazing if you think about it. First of all, I covered Gary as a day-to-day basis with the Padres. I knew him, all the other teams. We had great conversations. After he retired, we would still talk here and there when we ran into each other. Gary, you know, he, Gary was uh, – Gary's a unique guy. I mean, he's a fun guy to be around. He's funny. Um, um, and he's also had a lot of life experience – what was the name of the mask? This isn't funny. I'm not laughing, but the poor, the, the, the mask killer in Milwaukee, the, the, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Is that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. So I'm talking to Gary one day and he goes, you know, and, and he goes, you know, I used to ride by Jeffrey Dahmer's house all the time. I didn't know it was Jeffrey Dahmer's house, but I rode by that house all the time. I guess I'm in Milwaukee or something, I guess, when he played for the, for Milwaukee. He goes, there was a bad smell around that house. And I'm, you know, so, so this, this is a guy that's been around in a lot of places. His, his uncle was Doc Gooden. He knew about the difficulty and the, the tragedy of drugs through Doc. So he's not going to get involved in drugs, okay? And he never did, you know? And and he never changed physically. Everybody points to the um, the Balco case, you know, when he, he did the cream or whatever. He worked out with the Bonds, and Bonds kind of told him to try this, and he tried it, and but he soon got off it. He, he never changed physically. He, his head didn't grow five times its size. So, so people hold that against them. They lump them in. Again, it's the, the big, what I call the big lump. They lump everybody together when there's different situations. So, you know, like Manny Ramirez, he failed a few tests, you know. Um, yeah. A-Rod, we all know what happened to A-Rod. Bonds, we know Sosa, how he changed physically. All these guys changed physically. And a lot of guys we don't know about, you know, but they change. If you can, you, you can kind of figure it out. But Gary Sheffield was consistent in who he was as a hitter. Fastest bat in the game. The pitcher, the, the posing pitchers did not want to face Gary Sheffield. It's That's all you need to know, too. You don't really need any numbers. But here's one number I went, I had in the article today. Uh, of all the hitters in the 500 home run club, 28 of them, and that means 500 plus, obviously, is Gary Sheffield who has the, be- the least amount of strikeouts as a right-handed hitter. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Third overall in that department. Only Ted Williams and Mel Lott, both left-handed hitters, struck out fewer times than Gary Sheffield while hitting 500 home runs. 
Sheffield never struck out more than 83 times in a season. And that happened in his 21st season when he was 39 years old. And here are the raw numbers. Uh, the only numbers you need to understand that Sheffield is a Hall of Famer. You can cut through all the other BS and consider this. Ted Williams struck out 709 times in last 521 home runs. Mel Ott struck out 896 times and hit 511 home runs. And then comes Sheffield with 1,171 strikeouts over his 22-year career and 509 home runs. So here's a guy who hit with power, hit, you know, did, did something only 28 other players have done, and didn't strike out much in an era of strikeouts. So that alone is all you need to know to check the box for Gary Shefford for Hall of Fame. He didn't get the 75%. I'm telling you right now, once he gets on that Veterans Committee uh, list, he will be a walk-in as a Hall of Famer. And that's a, that's a, that's a mistake by BBWA writers. They may, you know, they, they, they missed on Gary Sheffield and it happens. Uh, but end of story, you know, his 10 year run on the ballot is over now. And uh, his hall of fame fate is squarely in the hands of the uh, veterans committee and his good friend, Fred McGriff, you know, he got in by the vets committee, his good friend, Jim Leland, he, he's going in this year by the vets committee. Guarantee you that both these guys, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping both these guys wind up on that vet, one of these veterans committees and sell Gary Sheffield, even though he won't need selling to the other guys, I don't think. Um, and, and so you'll soon see Sheffield in the Hall of Fame. And I think it's kind of um, kind of perfect that when he does get in the Hall of Fame, the writers will have nothing to do with it because there was always that there was some 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 animosity with some guys. Not me. I, I felt Sheffield was a was one of the most honest guys you could ever have. And as a writer, that's what you want. You want a guy to be honest to you. And, uh, and and that's what Sheffield was. He made mistakes early in his career, but he grew from that, okay? He grew from that. He became a better player and um, good teammate. He carried the 97 Marlins to, uh, to, to the World Championship. He put that team on his back in different ways. Stole a big base, if I remember. Um, you know, great hitter. Darren Dalton kind of gave him the um, kind of coronated him as the king. You got to lead this team, and he did. But he carried that team, so he won a World Series. He was part of that Yankees team in two thousand four. And you know what? He's completely right. I know he, this 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 created some waves recently too. But uh, Joe Joe had a little rough time with his bullpen in that series. Joe Torrey. And, uh, and Sheffield mentioned that I, you know, I was there. I saw every game. I saw every pitch, uh, you know, up, up three, nothing. The Yankees should have won that series. So Sheffield should have went to another world series late in his career. So Gary Sheffield's a hall of famer for a lot of reasons and that will be corrected. So, um, that, that's why I stand on that. Yeah. And if any kids are out there and you want to see what real bat speed looks like, take a well, look at a video of Gary Sheffield, all this measurements they use nowadays i don't know that there's a, a measurement tool that could could gauge an uh, accurate uh, accurate speed of how quickly he swung that bat and he came up as a shortstop too so he's not a big clunky outfielder he was an athlete no. and he pretty much stayed that that body stayed the same that body stayed the same he was a good athlete his father i mean his uncle was a you know he learned a lot from doc and that was a baseball family and back then tampa area the players that came through tampa just phenomenal i mean uh that 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 was really a great great uh, baseball building ground and and unfortunately he had the mistake of trying to listen to Barry you know and and Barry Bonds had a lot of good hitting uh, suggestions but you know he he made that mistake with Barry and Balco 
he soon got off that that train so it shouldn't be held against him forever and um you know, I'm just glad that uh, I had one of the 385 votes because I want to point out, too, that the BBWA, the writers take it seriously for, the, you know, through the years. There's only been a few situations where they haven't, you know, kind of come out. But, I, you know, most of the writers really do their homework and they sincerely believe what they believe. So, you know, you, you can argue with them if you want. But they, you know, there's only it's a small club, like I said, 385 voters. Uh, you had a 75 percent of that. Um, so 289 was the magic number. Um, you know, Billy Wagner just missed. I believe Billy will get in next year too. I voted for him. And the other thing I want to point out about the hall of fame is that it's gotten bigger through the years. Like all things get bigger through the years. They don't, you know, clubs don't shrink. If they shrink, then you, then, then they disappear. So this is not the same, you know, Babe Ruth, uh, hall of fame. And the other point I made, like, I think I made it two weeks ago on the show or whatever. And it turned out to be exactly true. What did I say? I said, because they were said with guys were trending, you know, blah, blah, blah. Billy Wagner's at 78%. I said, yeah, but wait, because the guys who don't announce their votes, those that are hardcore old timers for the most part, who thinks the Hall of Fame should be, you know, a half a percent, not 1%. And, yeah. um, and, and I said, when those votes come in, wherever you're trending now, you're going to drop. And um, what I found very interesting, too, um, with uh, the Maurer vote was the older voters, guys like me who saw the first 10 years of his career, gave him more credit than the guys who saw later in his career when he was only a first baseman. That's all they remember him. So you got to take the whole career into perspective. There's a lot of misses with the Hall of Fame. I just mentioned Sheffield. You know, we can go on and on. Um, What's your thoughts on this? St- I know, I, you know, obviously the, the steroid right. era guys get, get – uh, they're not pushing that envelope. Guys like Manny, A. Rod, Clemens, uh, Bonds. What's your What's your thoughts on them? Well, it's it's very clear. I used to early on. I didn't vote for them, but I changed tremendously, and I voted for them through the years, and I continue to vote for them simply because baseball dropped the ball. It wasn't my job to. I was not a security agent for baseball. I did not work for the commissioner. It's not my job to find out if these guys are doing steroids. That's your job. You need to keep the game clean. And you failed at your job. You're in the Hall of Fame. Your managers who had steroid guys on their team right. in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so I got, yeah, I got off the wall. I got off the wall, and I just look at what that happens on the field. I even voted for Omar Vizquel, you know, and I think they're only 17%. Never going to win that fight, but uh, I wanted to make a point, you know, and uh, I made my point. So I think – I really think the Hall of Fame, the one thing I would suggest to them is, um, you know, and I I bring it back to the plaques because that's what I wrote about. Um, I think all these guys should be with the numbers. You got to have the all time hits leader in the Hall of Fame. You got to have Clemens in the Hall of Fame, you know, hits leader being Pete Rose. You got to have Joe Jackson in the Hall of Fame. You got to have and you got to have Bonds in the Hall of Fame. They're just part of baseball story and they need they need to be represented. Now, what you do is. You put it on the plaque. You just put it right on the plaque. You know, Bonds hit so, so you know whatever you hit home runs, and he also was involved heavily involved in uh, steroid controversy, blah blah blah. So you let the people know the history of the game. It's not yeah. that hard. It's not that hard. That's what I always saw it as, and I, I went back and forth too. I I uh, I'm curious what 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 pushed you to, to back to the the side of favoring him. I I was on that other side of the fence too. Where I was like, no no no. But then I I agree. I think it's a it's a place of history, not so much morality. 
right. and who's the judge. Because I, I, somebody made the point to me, this is what kind of pushed me over the fence that way. They're like, well, if, that, if morality was an issue, then uh, we wouldn't have a rock and roll Hall of Fame, would we? And <laughs> I said, yeah, you're, you're probably right. So, yeah. Well, I, they I, lean I, on the character clause when that comes up, when they want to lean on it. Yeah. You know, sometimes they lean on it, sometimes they don't. Uh, and Joe Jackson, my argument with Joe Jackson is that he was suspended for, he got a lifetime suspension. Well, now it's a double lifetime. He's been dead 71 years, all right? Yeah. So the lifetime suspension should be ended. He should be, and I uh, I think they're in Greenville, is the- uh, Yes. The, the, the Joe Jackson, and I used to know the guy who ran it, and I, something happened, because he's not there anymore, but he, he really knew his stuff, and um, it seemed to be, be a great little uh, museum. And uh, so I would recommend, and I there's another thing I want to recommend to her. If you get a chance, especially all, 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 I'm going to tell you this quick story. You got me going, but I went to Cooperstown uh, two years ago with my grandson. His team was playing up in one of those uh, incredible money-making uh, Cooperstown tournaments. Oh, yeah. Boy, ten, <laughs> ten, grand, ten grand and her Little League team. Until oh, it's a joke. But you know what? Here's what I say. Uh, it's America, capitalism. You know, those guys found a way. And, and you know, and the kids always have a good time up there. So for the most part, from what I've seen. So, you know, they built a state. They, the ballparks, are, there's so many ballparks. The one we were at, you know, the center field fence looked like it was about 170 feet away. So kids are hitting home runs and they think, you know, they think it's, uh, you know. But, but again, what's wrong with having a little fun? But here's what I want to say. Part of the Hall of Fame experience, and I'm good friends with Josh Roberts, you know, the president, new president. Jeff Idelson, of course, we had him on a show. Yeah. Yes, president, great guy. Those guys love the Hall of Fame. They've done a great job at the Hall of Fame. Obviously, it's it's something, It's 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 they got to have people come through to make money. But they really love what they do, and everybody that works there loves what they do. Good people. Uh, so anyway, teams go through. You know, you play in Cooperstown. Part of the experience is you get one afternoon – where you don't like have an afternoon games. They always make the schedule that way. So that's the day you take your team to the Hall of Fame. And uh, and, and so in the summer, just a, a point of advice. If you're going to a Hall of Fame as a serious, serious fan, go in the fall, go in the winter when it's a little quieter. You can just spend your time there and really see everything. Guaranteed in the summer, you're going to have a couple teams running around like banshees throughout the Hall of Fame, you know, and, and uh, that's what they do. Kids, uh, you know, 12 years old kids, 13-year-old kids, that's what they do. And But when you bring your team to the Hall of Fame, corral them a little bit and also let make them take them to different exhibits. What I've seen in the past, and I don't like, is the, the teams get to the top floor and then they race down. They basically don't stop and look at anything, and they run in. Maybe one kid, you'll have one or two kids, maybe who are studious, do their own thing. But it's like it's like it's like lunchtime in the middle school. You know, they race, they eat the food, and move out and, and do whatever they do. Take your time and go through the Hall of Fame with your kid. Go at a quieter time. Let him go with his friends and experience that. That's part of the whole deal. But. Really, go to more museums. That's another thing I want to tell people. Hit more of these museums. I, I do it all the time in my travels. I know I went to the Navy SEAL Museum down there. If you're in Port St. Lucie at the Mets, take a day and go up, uh, uh, you know, it's about 10 miles away. Go to the the Navy SEALs Museum or whatever they call it. It's a great museum. There's a submarine museum right off the high, you know, uh, in Georgia as soon as you get there. Hit these museums and, and give you give your kids a chance at history because they're not unfortunately they're not being taught history 
like we were taught history. So that's that's uh, on my soapbox again. No, Hall of Fame's wonderful. I grew up in Schenectady, which is probably ninety minutes. Uh, well, to end up taking two hours because those those roads through Oneana. But we uh, we would go every fall, my dad and I, and we. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. We made it made the trip every year religiously right before school started. Even when I was in college, uh, I'd come back and we, we'd do it. And um, fun trip. I, I my mom would go antique shopping because it's, yeah. it's a little town. There's, there's other museums. There. There's a farming museum. There's, yeah. There's a it's lot a, of um, there's a lot of um, you know like art museums in the area, um, and of course the Norman Rockwell Museum isn't too far away. You know, it's it, it's maybe another, but that's always that's a great museum to go to as well. And uh, so going into fall was a smart move, which which moves me to my next point, which I ended the article with. And again, my articles are always different because I have I have a lifetime in the sports, so I've met a lot of people and. And, and for some reason, these people, for the most part, like me. So I point out Ichiro's coming out next year. You know, Ichiro being the whole, you know, he's on the ballot next year. He might be the first unanimous position player, right? The way I look at it. I don't know how you can't vote for Ichiro. He came in at the age of 27 to the major leagues after being a star in Japan. He, he got 3,000 hits, you know, coming on board at 27. So it's a no-brainer. And, and he did everything right. When Ichiro came to the Yankees, we hit it off real big for some reason. And by the way, he speaks really good English, uh, really good English. I don't speak Japanese, so it's not me going there and speaking Japanese and making a friend. But he speaks great English. He's funny as hell. He's uh, got some good curse words that he can throw at you, too. And um, But I loved a lot of everything about Ichiro, the way he played the game, approached the game. You know, he had a special, and this is what I would talk to him about, he had a you know, he, he really respected his bats. You know, they, they were in a special bat container, you know. You, you've seen the, the ones. And, of course, every major league can afford it if, if they had the sense to do it. But he also put his glove, his game glove or two, whatever he had. He had like a, a humidor for his gloves. So when the team traveled, there was this big silver box that had his gloves in it. And uh, so he respected his talent, his, uh, his equipment to the 10th degree, cleaned it himself. Did everything with it. You know, the clubbies uh, always told me about what he did and how special he did. So, so it turns out, just like you going to the Hall of Fame with your dad in the fall, you know who else loves going to the Hall of Fame? This came up one time because I think Jeff told me about Jeff Idelson, and then I followed up. Ichiro loves the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Ichiro, on his own, you know, he's not a, con- you know, he doesn't, you know, his whatever his people don't take him up there or he shows up and you know flies into the private air, uh, um, airport and he drives up to the hall of fame he's been there at the last count and i haven't talked to him in a while but the last count was five or six times he's been to the hall of fame he loves the hall of fame and we would talk about that too he loved going up to cooperstown and i'm sure he's so you know he was just like another tourist i'm sure they didn't even notice half the time but jeff idelson knew you know that he, he checked in with the press and he was also very good about i think giving stuff to the hall of fame so so he you know he would see the stuff that he had and uh, i'm sure he got the private tour the other thing is again because of my job i went up with uh, when goose got in goose gossage they always give the players when they get in the hall of fame they give them a special individual tour months before they are inducted, like May or whatever, maybe sometimes a little earlier. So I did the tour with Goose. And when you do that tour with the Hall of Fame people, you get to go downstairs into the basement and see even more stuff that's unbelievable. I mean, they're, you know, their basement is unbelievable. And, um, 
and the, the white glove. You put on the gloves, right? Yeah, the yeah. white glove tour, exactly. So, so Ichiro is going to love going to the Hall of Fame. Um, he's, he, he's he's obviously going to get in. He might be unanimous. I don't see how you can vote against Ichiro. Um, maybe there will be one of those, you know, one of those guys that uh, was maybe an assistant sports editor I would in Iowa or something that has a vote still or whatever, or maybe just a hardcore guy that doesn't think anybody's a first time Hall of Famer, but that's, that's changed too. And let me point this out. There's a new rule now that they added a a few years back. You have to have 5% of the vote to stay on the ballot. So a lot of times I'll vote for a guy. I didn't do it this year because I thought David Wright would have enough anyway, just to stay on the ballot because they deserve to be on the ballot. I think for a couple of years at least. And, uh, but if you get less than 5%, bang, you're off. That never used to be that way. You used to be on the ballot for 15 years, essentially. You know? yeah. um, so that's changed. Um, how, did you, how do you, it's a big honor. What, I mean, for you to, to get to decide <laughs> on the top 1% of all major league players to be in the mm-hmm. museum is, is just as big an honor. Now, too. It's not just like uh, five years. You know, I've been how doing how long have you been doing it? You know, I'm not good with dates. It's been a long time, though. Yeah. Because here's I, the way I, it works you have to spend. 10 years as a beat writer, supposedly. I think that's still the same way. And then you get the opportunity to vote for the Hall of Fame. So it's not like you become a BBWA member on yeah. Tuesday and on Thursday you're voting for the Hall of Fame. And you've got to spend, to be a beat writer, you've got to be at X number of games covering it live. Yeah, you, when I started, and again, you know, old man yelling at clouds, two feet of snow walking to school. Um, but when I started, I, I when I started... And I actually go all the way back to 77. I wasn't a beat writer, but I did. I was. Just, I came out of college as an assistant sports editor right away with a little paper. So I had, I think I had a card way back then and I, and I let it lapse when, when, uh, when I started covering more NBA. But my official card started in 88. So I'm, I'm in the numbers now, an active member. I'm, I'm probably below 50. And, um, uh, you know, the lower you get, the older you are. So, so, um, so you spend 10 years. And when I was a beat writer, I covered at least 150 games a year with the Padres. I also went to spring training for those six weeks. So I spent six weeks in Yuma, covered 150 games, and then covered the playoffs right on through from day one. Even if my team wasn't there, I covered the playoffs because that's the way real newspapers used to do the job. They sent their writers to the playoffs. I'm seeing more and more stories now. Football playoffs drive me nuts. I'm seeing stories with no dateline. You know, when you have the dateline, that means you're at the event. You know, you're at the, you're at the place. More and more stories. Guys sitting on their couch writing from home. That's what's going on. And 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 newspapers wonder why they're losing people. You know, so if you're sitting on your couch, you're getting the same information as as you know Joe from Schenectady. You know, watching a game. So so, but I went to 150 games, six weeks of spring training. A month of playoffs or whatever, however, it, it was a, it was a grind, you know. Five a.m. flights to a new city. I always one of the great things I loved about being a sports writer is that, you know, especially in New York, it was different in San Diego. There were only two or three writers that travel, but in New York, you'll have seven, eight, nine guys and girls um, uh, being at one game in Chicago, say, and then the next day. There's a day game in Atlanta, and we somehow all make it there. We don't have charters, you know. We don't fly. I flew charters when I was with the uh, when I covered the Knicks early on, and when I covered the New York Football Giants, I, I flew charters with the team. So that was that was a lot easier, believe me. You just get on a plane, 
eat your lobster and steak and you move on. <laughs> um, so, but you know, and we all know what flying is like now, you know, you know, again, worry about the things that matter. Worry about, you know, doors flying off planes or bolts not being in, you know, uh, that, that, that's the things that you should worry about. So I, you, you spend 10 years doing that. You deserve to get that vote. And that's my point. And that's what I always tell the people who are wise asses to me at some point, like you said, eventually I come back if it, if it, it gets me on the wrong day and I'll say, go, you know what? Cover your ba- cover a team for ten years. Get your ass up every morning. Go to a game. Go write three stories a night. You know, do it do it right on through the season, and then you get a chance to vote. So, so you know what? Uh, leave me alone. So that, that, that that's how that works. I was when you said the number, I wasn't aware of the number being only three eighty five. To me, I was I kind of was eye opening for me. That's a that's a really small number um, for how long. You know, I realize where people well, pass well, some, away. Some, some uh, publications have gotten holier than thou, and they don't they don't allow their writers to vote for them anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I'm not going to mention them because they're, they're clown show sports sports staffs anyway. I mean, I may like the individual writers, but uh, you know, they're holding. Oh, we can't have our writer voting on an award like that. You know, you know what? Your writer should be voting on the award because he's been spending all you know. I know I some guys. Be one of the greatest honors in the in writing to be right. allowed and, to vote. And, and like I said, the guys take it seriously. They they don't just fluff it off. I mean, I had to laugh though, and this is always a fear. Uh, I saw p- the great Peter Gammons, you know, Hall of Fame writer. Yeah, uh, Cooperstown Hall of Fame, and uh, I guess he 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 screwed up and didn't vote for Maurer. He forgot to check the box or something. So I think that happened this year. I could be wrong on that. So I apologize. Oh, it is, yeah. yeah. So that's always like a fear, you know, when I do my vote and I used to always wait to the end of December for some reason, I guess a procrastinator in me, but this year I did it early. I did it, you know, soon after it arrived. And so I checked my boxes. I usually don't vote for 10, but this year I went 10 because, you know, why not? And uh, and I know most of them ain't getting in. So it's just like me being, uh, giving a little honor to the players. So. But I, I check my boxes. I let it sit around for a day. I take a picture of it and I look back at it because I don't want to have that thing where, oh, my gosh, I forgot to vote for Beltry. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It just, it just goes through the list. And I do my homework and, uh, you know, I look at the research and all that stuff. But but again, I was there. I spent, I spent my whole career watching these guys play. Do I need some uh, MIT scientist to tell me something about, you know, projected balls hit by Adrian Beltway where they would have went and uh, be, you know, batting average and balls in play or BABIP and all these stupid things. No, I saw it. I saw Gary Sheffield had the best swing, uh, the quickest swing, and he did a heavy bat. He used a heavy bat because he was so fast with his damn hands that if he used a lighter bat, he would have been, he would have been like changing up, swinging out of changeup all the time. Yeah, would have so, got it way ahead of his hips. Yeah, oh, yeah, he was, he handled that thing like a toothpick. Like a toothpick, you know, and the way he, he you know, the way he, waggled it, wiggled it, you know, it was just, it was great. He brought color and, and personality to hitting. And I, that's another, I like players who bring personality to the game. And getting back to the uh, why I vote for something, A-Rod, A-Rod is a classic example of, you know, he should have stayed who he was, not, not, not done any of this stuff or whatever, but he didn't. But nobody loves the game more than A-Rod. And I give him credit for coming back and, um, being who he is now in the game. He's a little bit overexposed right now, I think, in certain cases. Um, but, but you know, he loves the game. So that that goes a long way with me. When I see players having – Tony Gwynn loved the game. Cal Ripken loved the game. These are the guys 
to me, there's a Hall of Fame on top, and then there's some guys that are in the Hall of Fame that maybe aren't quite as good. But the guys who loved the game and were great, those are special players. Ted Williams. I mean, I was lucky enough to be around uh, Tony and Ted when they had their conversation, some of their conversations in San Diego. Him, Ted being a San Diego kid, you know, and and also talking to, you know, Vince Piazza. Vince was very connected with Tommy Lasorda in Norristown, Pennsylvania. So he was always connected to the Dodgers. That's Michael's dad. And, you know, he had he had Ted come out and uh, look at Michael when he was like 15, 16 years old. And he had a video of it, you know, home movies of it. And he showed me those home movies way back when. So I saw that way before anybody else. So and Michael, Mike Piazza loves the game, loves the game. Um, you know, so so I the guys who love the game and they have the numbers that they even go in a higher class for me. Jeter. Jeter loved the game. Jeter was like a Michael Jordan. He'd always have put a chip on his shoulder for some reason. And that's how he, that's how he kind of got his energy. Good for him. And, uh, but guys who love the game like that, I always got, I never had a problem with those guys. Never had a problem with those guys. No, I love it. I'm, I'm glad you, you, you have your vote. I know how seriously you take everything you do. So um, as long as you're on that committee, I've, I've got good faith in the right guys getting in to the Hall of Fame. How do you want to leave the audience, or is that a good way to put an exclamation point? No, on? that's good. We we, yeah. we we gave them a lot. If they can take in, they you know, it's kind of like one uh, percent making the Hall of Fame. If they could take in one percent of what we said today, they're doing okay. Yeah, and you got to stretch those shoulders out. You carried the show today. We appreciate you so much. And to our audience, sixty-four thousand. We hope to get to sixty-five by the end of the week uh, with our with our strong push here. Thank you to Jaw Bats. Uh, check out their website, RVG at checkout. I'll get you. 20% off their bats, tremendous maple-made bats. M110 is the model we recommend, but try it for yourself. Thanks to Sports Podcast Group and the Webbies for nominating us for, for podcasts, for Best Baseball Podcast of the Year. We, we certainly appreciate that. Uh, to Millions, our new partner in advertising and marketing. We'll get more on them next week for you guys uh, so you can support us in a number of ways. And, uh, and I, I love the phrase you said at the beginning. I think we, we used it as a tagline early on. Maybe we do have to make up T-shirts with it. But we do talk about specifically you, the uncomfortable truths out there. And I hope our audience appreciates uh, how you go out on a limb form every week. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to change who I am. 71 years old. And if, uh, if people don't like it, too bad, you know. I mean, uh, and, and I really mean what I'm saying about, you know, let's start, you know, let's start getting back to worrying about America and, and where we're going as a country. And, uh you know, if you take this as political, that's on you. I'm talking about the country, the kids, the grandkids. Um, you know, it's 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 a little it's weird times right now. That's all yeah. I can say. No, I agree. I agree. We well, always have an audience of one. You know that, but you know you're you're loved by millions out there with your writing and in this podcast. And so we appreciate what you do every week. And with that episode, one last 50, thing, Dave. Yeah, I, go I ahead. Just thought of it because. Uh, with Ichiro, just to, just to kind of put a bow on everything. And like I said, Ichiro and I hit it off real well. And uh, so he spends his three years with the Yankees. We have great conversations. And, uh, you know, and then I, I just enjoyed watching him play. I mean, the things that this guy could do in the field, on the field, hitting, you know, he's a complete player, base running. Um, so he, you know, like I said, he was always happy to talk to me. So he, he now he's, he goes to the Marlins, 2015, I believe. My dates sometimes were off, um, but it was 2015. So I had the flexibility back then for the people I was working with where I could kind of go to different places. And the Marlins were a good story then. Um, so I said, oh, let me go down. I'll go early. And uh, so I showed up the first day at camp 
And all now you got to understand when the Japanese players play, they have a Japanese contingent of writers that is off the charts. They have, especially Ichiro did, Ichiro, and especially in his prime. You know, there were at least, you know, I'm just saying a number, but had to be more, you know, 10, 15, 20 Japanese writers. Uh, with the Yankees, they used to hang out because they couldn't fit all in the press box. So they would hang out down by the food room. So there'd be like 30 people there, you know, men, women, you know, producers, TV, whatever, all those Japanese media, very strong contingent, take their jobs incredibly seriously. Um, and um, so I go down to Jupiter, get there early. Like That's another key to being a good sports writer, get there early. Uh, it's probably eight o'clock show up time, you know, I'm just saying. Uh, so I'm there early. I'm standing on the sidewalk because they don't let you in the clubhouse yet. So I'm standing in a clubhouse on the sidewalk out in front of uh, out in front of the, the Marlins clubhouse in spring training. And all of a sudden, I knew I knew the I knew the uh, car guy, the guy who let the cars in the parking lot. You know, security guy, great guy from Boston at the time. So he would always give me a heads up on people when they come. So anyway, he gives me a heads up. Each of car just pulled in. Um, so I'm in position. Uh, you know, you want to see him walk in, get a picture, whatever. Uh, say hi, let them know you're here. So Ichiro walks in. Now you got a picture. There's like, you know, 30 Japanese reporters there. And uh, and there's little old me and a couple other guys uh, from the States. And Ichiro beelines right to me, avoids all the Japanese guys, because I was kind of like below them. Comes over to me, Kevin, gives me a big hug. <laughs> and all Japanese guys are looking at me like, whoa. And, and they were always very respectful people, the Japanese writers. They were the great, great people. And, uh, uh, and But I had, from that point on, I had another level of respect from the Japanese writers. So I, I didn't mean to stretch the show out a little, but no. that's a fun story. It's a great story. Well, because Ichiro's game, you, you talked about the way he approached the game, even how he took care of his equipment. It's all about respect. And that shows yeah. the, the respect level he had for you to do that, especially to walk by his Japanese contingency because I'm sure there was a, a protocol to follow, but he obviously abandoned that. And the, the, yeah, they were uh, all like, Kevy, each, each row loves you. <laughs> no, so it was, <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. No, I love it. I'm glad you did tell that. That's great stuff. Um, so, yeah, the audience, thanks so much. We gave you a little extra today, almost an hour here with, with AMBS, and we love him on this, this network and uh, our flagship guy here. So, Kevin, thanks so much again. Have a great rest of the week. and. Make sure everybody follows Kevin on social media and reads his Ball Nine articles. It's you know, it's it's a must read every week. It's it's the only real writer out there anymore. So it's the human, the human writing. There we go. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Kevin. Have a great week. You too.